0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. I want to freshly encourage you to consider joining us for the Ellerslie Online Special Training. You have access to the content all the way through the month of December. So even if you can't do it right now, where we're doing it live, you can actually access the content and go through it at your own pace. If you've ever wanted to take these truths that we teach here at Ellerslie to a deeper level and really learn what it means to build your life upon the word of God, focus upon Jesus Christ and live a victorious, practical Christian life. Well, this training is going to lay a great foundation for that in your life. This online training is on a donation only basis. So you can actually come and participate for whatever you can donate. Well, again, the registration closes the end of this month, June 30th. So if you've ever wanted to take some Ellerslie discipleship training at your own pace in your own home, this is a great opportunity to do so. Again, for more information, you can go to Ellersley.com forward slash daily, and you can get more information there about how to register and sign up. Well, today I'm very excited to dive into this great picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 15, looking at this idea that God is the healer. Uh, Last week, we started a kind of a new mini series walking through some of the pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And again, this is sort of selfish, I guess, of me, but this is one of my all-time favorite things to study out. I know it's one of Ryan's favorite things, too. So this is like a—at least we have a good crew here. Uh, So we were walking through this idea that every single page of this book points to Jesus. That, yes, it's not that Jesus shows up in name, but he is there in shadow, he is there in type, he is there in prophecy. Uh, We also know that the, the, when it says that God is doing these actions, we know it's not just the Father doing the actions in the Old Testament. It is the triune God doing the actions. It is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as a, in this perfect unity, accomplishing and doing his activities in the Old Testament. So we know Jesus was smack dab in the middle of this book. And in fact, we keep saying it around here, but every single page of the scripture has one key focus, has one drive, has one passion, which is the revelation of the author himself, which which is him. And uh, so last week we began to walk through some of these Christophanies or these pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, and I want to look at another one with you in Exodus 15. Uh, This is—I hate to say it's my favorite because I'm afraid that every single one of these mornings it's going to say, this is one of my favorites, but this really is one of my favorites. In Exodus 15, just to give you some context— uh, of course, in the early part of Exodus, Moses met with with God on the mountain and, and spoke to him in the bush. And of course, God sends him back into Egypt to rescue the people. And so, of course, you know the story: Moses goes back to Egypt and is talking to Pharaoh and says, "Let my people go." And Pharaoh says, "No." And Moses says, "Yes." And no, yes. And after a whole bunch of plagues, right? Pharaoh decides to finally let them leave. And of course, they cross the Red Sea, which even that is a beautiful picture of redemption in Jesus. But here they are; they come three days out of that whole scene. And they're in the middle of the wilderness. Now, just to, to paint the picture here, uh, of course, I live in Colorado. So when I think wilderness, I think Rocky Mountains. You know, it's, it's a wilderness. Bears, you know, evergreen trees, rocks. That's, <laughs> that's not this wilderness. Uh, this wilderness is like barren desert. I mean, there is nothing. There is very, I mean, there's no, tr- very few. I, I shouldn't say no trees, but there's like a rare tree very few bushes. It's dirt and rocks. I mean, it is barren, barren, barren. So imagine this. This is a. Or let's let's read this. Exodus fifteen, verse twenty-two. <clears throat> I love this. It says, "Now Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water." Now I'm not going to touch on this at all. I'm just going to give you a little thought, uh, and, and you can run with this. But it's interesting that it was exactly three days. And when you start following that theme through Scripture, there's all these things that happen three days, three days, three days. And it's like Jesus does this fulfillment of three days at the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection, which I think is really profound. Uh, but you hear, a, you hear even a hint of that here in this passage. Uh, verse 23, <clears throat> When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. By the way, the word Mara means bitter. Therefore, they named that place Marah. So the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he had thrown it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And then God gives this declaration and this ordinance about, hey, you're to follow my word, but look down at verse, uh, the end of verse 26. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. And he gives one of his names. It's Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals. I love this whole picture that's being played out here. Again, the fact that God reveals one of his names is so profound to me. I, again, a name in the Old Testament wasn't just like a name. It wasn't like, hey, let's call him Bob or, you know, Joe or, or whatever, right? Names were symbolic. Names were significant. In fact, a name was, was a picture of someone's character, their nature, their, their characteristics, their, their very life. So when you see someone's name, it wasn't just like, oh, hey, it's, it's a name. It's a name. And the name symbolized something. So think about this. When God reveals one of his names, it's not just he's saying, well, you can call me Bob. He's giving you insight into his very nature, into his character, into his life. So he says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. Now, we've talked about this in in times past, but that idea of Jehovah, it's that word Yahweh or the I am, it speaks of his unchanging nature. In other words, this is who he was, this is who he is, and this is who he forever will be. Isn't it a great thought that God is a healer? That he doesn't change. That it wasn't like he was a healer back in in times past, and well, you know, he's changed his mind. He's no longer a healer today. That he is always a healer. I think that is brilliant. Now, when you get into this idea of the word Rapha, that God says, I am a healer, and you begin to look at that through scripture, it's interesting that there seems to be that there are three key areas of healing that. God does working in throughout the scriptures. I'll just give them to you really quick. One, obviously, would be the idea of physical diseases and sickness. Uh, For example, Psalm 103, verse 2 through 5, says, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals—'that's the word, Rapha,' all your diseases—' who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So one of God's passions, if I can use that word, and this idea of healing is that he heals sickness. Now, does that mean he heals every sickness? No. And you're going to have to wrestle with that theologically. <laughs> But I do find it interesting, you come to Jesus, Jesus did not heal every single sick person in Israel. In fact, I think it's not hilarious, like ha-ha hilarious, but I do find it hilarious that in uh, Acts chapter 4, here's Peter and John, and they're walking past the gate beautiful, and here's a, here's a man who's been lame for all these years. Do you realize Jesus would have passed that man year after year after year after year after year, and never, Jesus never healed them. Uh, and, and John— I think it's chapter 5, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, And of course, the whole crowd, I mean, there's this whole crowd of people who are sick. And he only heals one person. Now, we do know, hey, we do know, that according to the book of John, that Jesus did so many miracles, they could not all be recorded. So it wasn't like he was holding back. It's just, he, he was only, you're going to have to deal with this theologically, right? Does God heal? Yes. Does he heal everybody? Apparently not. He healed Lazarus, but you recognize at some point in Lazarus's di- uh, life, he got the he got sick and he died again. So, woo, Lazarus was you know got got raised from the dead. He was healed, but he eventually died. So anyway, you're gonna have to deal with all that, which is what we're not gonna talk about <laughs> this morning. But one of the things that God heals is the physical physical stuff. And hey, if you have physical physical issues, you should go to God for that. In fact, if, if you've been around the LLC world, we have several people in our midst who still need healing, and we keep praying, and praying, and praying, and praying that God is a healer, and we're trusting him for the healing. But we also know that he is a good God, and sometimes he shows his glory, and his grandeur, and his sufficiency through the sickness. In fact, if you look at a lot of our old heroes that we talk about, you know, the Amy Carmichael's and the You know, the C.T. Studs and the Hudson Taylors, some of them, especially like Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael had crazy health issues, and she was never healed. Well, why on earth did God not heal her? Yeah, but her testimony in the midst of the sickness was beautiful, and it had such a great picture of the provision and the faithfulness of God. So, hey, whatever gives God the more glory, hey, that's what we want, whether it has healing or no healing. But God is still a healer, and he heals physical diseases. Everyone okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, another uh, aspect of the healing is not just the physical, it's the emotional stuff. I think that's interesting. That God isn't just interested in physical healing as if, you know, he puts a little band-aid on or, you know, he'll, you know, sews us up, but then he leaves the insides full of issues. God deals with the inside stuff, the emotions, the despair, the, the, that emotional distress and sickness. Now, listen to this. This is Psalm 147.3. God Rapha heals, the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. Isn't that interesting? That one of the things that God delights in healing is is that emotional side of things. It's that inside stuff. I think that's neat. And then the third one, which I think is probably, out of all three of them, I think this is the most important, but it's that spiritual sickness. right? It's that sin issue. of course, there's tons of verses on this, but Psalm 41.4, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal, rafa my soul, for I have sinned against you. That here's the psalmist. He turns to God and says, God, you need to bring healing and rafa to my very soul because I have sinned. You've got to deal with this sin issue. Uh, Jeremiah 3.22, Jeremiah says, Return, you backsliding children, and I will rafa your backslidings. It's God speaking to Jeremiah, and that word backsliding means the turning away, the apostasy, the backsliding, the rebellion. God says, "Hey, will you return to me? And as you return to me, do you know what I'm going to do? I, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am going to bring healing in the midst of your rebellion, in the midst of your sickness. Doesn't that sound like the Romans five eight passage where here we are, while we were yet sinners, while we were shaking our fists and rebellion at God's face, Christ died for us. That's a beautiful picture." So, three key areas that God seems biblically to delight in in healing. One is the physical, the second is the emotional inside stuff, and the third is the spiritual or that that soul uh, sin issue problem that we have. You realize God delights in those. And it's not that he once dealt with this. He was a healer. He is a healer. He forever will be a healer. God is Jehovah Rapha. Have you ever wondered or have you ever studied what the very first, Healing in Scripture is. I find this so interesting. The very first time we see healing in Scripture is actually before the fall of humanity. In Genesis chapter 2, here is God, and he puts Adam into a deep sleep. So he's working as an anesthesiologist, which is, I think is awesome. <laughs> so anesthesiologist, there's a biblical precedent that what you do is not sinful, because this happened before the fall. Just put people to sleep. Uh, <clears throat> so so here's Adam he's asleep, and God reaches in and grabs the rib and it says he bring, puts them all back together now it doesn't say he brought healing, but that's what it was. isn't it neat that it wasn't that God decided because of sin that he was going to be a healer? God has always been a healer even when sin showed up. I think that's a brilliant thought that here is God He's not going to be like, whoops, oh no, humanity has all these issues I guess I'm going to have to become a healer to deal with their mess. God has always been a healer. Now, as you begin to walk through the Old Testament, you begin to see this picture of the Rafa, this healer that God delights in healing, walking all the way through the Old Testament. But this amplifies when you get to Jesus. You realize that Jesus, who is God, right? He's God incarnate. He's he's God in the form of a man. That here is Jesus. Jesus went berserker with this idea. That if here is God who is Jehovah Rapha, he's always been a healer. He is a healer. He forever forever will be a healer. So here is God in the flesh. And what does Jesus begin to do? Heal. Heal, He just heals all over the place. And it's interesting. He heals the physical. He deals with the emotional. And obviously on the cross, he deals with the spiritual, ultimately. Uh, And I don't know if I need to walk through any of these verses, but let me just give you a couple of them. Uh, John 20, verse 30. It says that, John John writes, truly Jesus did many other miracles or signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book. And then he says a chapter later in 21 verse 25 that there were many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Do you know how many healings and miracles and workings Jesus did? More than one. (laughs) He did a lot. (laughs) Apparently enough, that the Library of Congress would be far too small to contain all the volumes of his healings. Isn't that an exciting thought that our God is a healer. And so here he is, He comes in the flesh. How does he show himself as a healer? In fact, Jesus walks into the, the synagogue in Nazareth and he grabs the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read something. Do you know what? He do you know what he reads? He reads this portion. He says, "The spirit of the Lord of the Lord God is upon me." Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal Rapha, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus, that's why I have come. I have have come so I can bring healing and life and freedom, not just from the physical. I mean, it's not that the physical is not important, but that's not the big deal. What's, What's the big deal? The spiritual thing. Now, he's still interested in the physical. He is still interested in the emotional. But what's, what is his big agenda? The spiritual. Because the spiritual thing is the eternal thing. Hey, you get a new body. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm ready for an upgrade already. Right? I mean, it's just like, so hey, he can heal us physically, but you realize in the eternities, that's not going to matter as much. Why, why was it that the, old, the early Christians were so willing to give their body and their blood to, to, for the sake of the kingdom? Well, because they recognized there was something greater than the physical pain and agony that they may experience, but that there was just going to be this eternal thing. What is the eternal thing all about? It's that, it's that inside stuff. It's that spiritual side of things. I think that's awesome. And what did Jesus come to do? Bring healing and all that. He came to restore. Uh, here's another great passage: Isaiah fifty-three five, Isaiah. Speaking of the coming Messiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. It is by him on the cross that we find our healing, which is beautiful. Now come back into the Exodus 15 passage. Again, I think this is such an incredible picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Not only is Jesus Jehovah Rapha in the flesh, not only is he the healer, But this whole story is an incredible, incredible picture of the work of the cross in our lives. Look at this again. In verse 22 of Exodus 15, it says that Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Could you imagine the stress, the the hardship this must be? Here you go. You go in the middle of the desert, and you go about three days which is right on the brink of desperation. You need water. Now, you've gone way too far to return. So it's not like you can go, well, that was a dumb idea. Let's just go back, right? Because you don't have three more days to make it back. And, right? and scholars tell us there's probably two to three million Israelites plus all their flocks and all their herds. And I mean, there's a lot of water that is needed. They're, this is desperate times, right? Hot hot days, cold nights, you're in the middle of the desert. And so there's this, this great desperation, so three days into this whole thing, they go, we have a problem. Mo- Sorry, Moses, you have a problem. There is no water. Well, there is water. You know, as they were walking on, on the three-day thing, there's this little glimmer, and they're like, yes, we have it, finally. And they run over to the water, and the poor guy who reaches down and grabs the water and puts it to his mouth, psh, spits it out, because he realizes that though there, are, though there is water, the water is bitter. It's poisoned. It's twisted. It's undrinkable. And so they call that place Mara, which means bitter. Do you know how horrible that must have felt? <laughs> that here you are in this place of desperation, and you're craving water. And you have water. It's right there in front of you, but you can't drink it because it's poison. It's twisted. It's, it's not as it should be. And so here is this resource. Here's this life that you desperately need, and yet it's not life. It only brings death. So how on earth are you going to make it? So, of course, they cry out to Moses, and they begin to murmur. And Moses goes to God and says, God, your people are driving me crazy. So that's probably my interpretation. But but, but God, your people are are starting to complain again. And we need water. And I love this. Look look at verse 25. And Moses cried to the Lord. And what did God do? God did not just go, oh, sorry about that. I forgot to clean up that little bit of water there. Here, let me just touch this. It says that God showed Moses a tree or a branch. Now, I don't know if you see the beautiful Christophany or the beautiful picture of Jesus in this, but but imagine this. You have this big body of water that's polluted. It's been twisted. It's not as it should be. So what does God do? God says, oh, there's a tree. Okay, thanks, thanks, God. What do you want me to do with the tree? (laughs) It's like, are you kidding? Like, how's that going to fix my problems? And God says, oh, take the tree and throw it into the middle of the bitter waters. And isn't it fascinating that when the tree hit the bitter waters, the bitter waters weren't made clean. They were made so clean, they became sweet. That is a beautiful picture of the cross. So here's your life, if I can compare it. Your life is this full of bitter water stuff. Your life is not as it should be. Your life has been twisted. Your life has been poisoned. Your life is bitter. And that is who we are with before Christ. That is who we are in sin, that we have been polluted. We've been twisted by sin. We are not as we should be. So here's this great vessel that God is, God is longing to use. It's sitting right there, but it's unusable. It's undrinkable. Why? Because there's been a twist of the water. There's been a perversion of the water. So what does God do? He doesn't just touch the water. He deals with the water through a tree. And in your life, the same thing's taking place. That in the midst of my twistedness, in the midst of my pollution, in the midst of my bitterness, what does God do? He shows me a tree. It's called a cross. And isn't it a phenomenal thought that when the cross smack-stab in the middle of my life, the, my life doesn't just become clean. It's not that he just cleans it up and goes, oh, alright, now, now you're good to go. He makes the water's Sweet. So that you're now not just usable. Now you are effectual and you're even greater use. That wasn't good grammar, but you understand what I'm saying. (laughs) Have you ever tasted water that is so clean that it was sweet? I'm a water snob, I guess is probably the term. (laughs) I don't like Windsor water. Windsor water to me just has this taste to it. I don't know what it is. It just does not taste good to me at all. And I'll drink it if I have to. But I, I love good water. And I drink water all the time. So years ago, you know, I got one of those cool jug machine things, you know, and, and that way I could at least have this double purified ultra ray light water, right? And I was like, oh, at least it tastes good. And then a few years ago, some of the guys on campus, the mockler came over and says, wait, we have something for you. We got you a reverse osmosis water filter extravaganza, whatever, something. And they shoved it underneath my sink and they hooked it all up. It's amazing. The water that comes out of that Though it is the Windsor water, tastes—it's so clean and purified, it actually has this sweet taste to it. Not because I've added sugar, for clarity's sake. (laughs) I've thought about that. But I don't need to. Why? Because the water is just—it's clean. And because it's clean, I drink a whole lot more of it because it's just—it tastes good. Isn't that neat that that's what God wants to do in your life? That it's not that he just wants to clean us up and just remove the junk— he actually wants to make us far greater than we could have ever been, even if we were just clean. That he wants to take this twist that we have in our life. He wants to take this poison. He wants to take this bitterness. He wants to take this perversion. And he wants to not only untwist it, he wants to bring healing in the midst of the waters, and he wants to bring this life in the midst of it. So that in the midst of this bitter waters of death, there's now life, but not just life. Now there's this sweetness. Well, how did all that come about? A tree. And when we look at your life as a Christian, what should we see? The evidence, the sweetness of a tree that has been plunged in the midst of bitterness and pollution and perversion and twistedness. And now it's been all rectified. And now you're not just made clean. Now you are sweet. I I just I think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And in the middle of that scene, God stands up and says, Do you know who I am? I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. And just as I brought healing to this bitter water, do you know what I want to do in your life? I want to be Jehovah Rapha. And yes, it may be a physical thing. Yes, it may be an emotional thing. But ultimately, he really wants to do the spiritual thing, that he wants to bring life in the midst of death. Uh, Two quick application points. If all this is true, if he is Jehovah Rapha, Number one, do you realize that your life should reflect the fact that he is Jehovah Rapha? I know that sounds rather simplistic, but it's so interesting to me that so many of us in the church are wallowing in our junk. We're wallowing in our sin. We're wallowing in our flesh. We're wallowing in our our perversions. We're wallowing in our bitterness. And yet we're saying, I'm a Christian! Isn't it a sad thought that when you live in your your twistedness and your perversion and, and your junk in your bitterness and your bitter waters, what it actually is declaring to the world around you is that God is not a healer. Because, Hey, if God is a healer, shouldn't your life, the one who is reflecting the healer, showcase the healer. I'm not talking the physical because God can get glory from the physical, but ultimately with the spiritual, do you realize that, that, Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But then I turn and I go live in my junk what that actually declares to the world is that God actually cannot handle their problems. Do you know how hard it is for me to stand up to someone and say, hey, you need Jesus. He can save you. He can get rid of all your junk. And then they scrutinize my life and they go, yeah, but look at all that in your life. And if you have all that in your life, I don't know if he can do that in my life. Because, hey, if if you've had this thing and you can't live in it, well, then I don't think I have any hope. That's totally different than going up to somebody saying, Wow, God is a healer. He can deal with your issues. That twistedness and that bitterness that you have, wow, He can bring healing in that. Why? Because He's done that in my life. In fact, just look at my life. Look at how I was. Uh, this morning in our, in our prayer call with the alumni on the, uh, the Eldersley Online program that we were doing, we had a few minutes where everyone was sharing testimonies. It was so neat to me because I, th- I was pondering this whole session how the few people that I had in my breakout room, you know, a couple of them are just like, man, my life was horrible. I mean, my life was just full of junk. I mean, I was living in such rebellion. I was just, but when God got a hold of me, everyone was just looking at me going, you are not who you once were. See, that is the picture that us as Christians should be proclaiming. That as we're walking in this world, they should see Jehovah Rapha in our lives. That they should go, wow, he is a healer not because of the physical thing, but because they see the, 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 the inside change of who you are, that your nature has been changed, that all the twisted pollution and perversion has been untwisted and God has brought healing in the midst of the junk. Wouldn't it be neat testimony in our world today for Christians to be declaring that in our lives and through our lips, that God is still a healer And I don't care your past and I don't care your junk and I don't care what you've done and I don't care your thought processes and I don't care that God can come in and he can restore that which has been broken. He can heal that which has been torn down. He can bring restitution and reconciliation and life in the midst of death because he is Jehovah Rapha. And it's not just something that he did back in the day. That's who he is right this very moment. And this is who he's going to be forever. That he loves to bring healing. Uh, second application point. <laughs> this might be worse. But if God is Jehovah Rapha, not not only should our lives be reflecting him, but you realize we are his vessels to this world, which means, at some level, don't you think you want to use our lives as his channel to bring healing to the world? i I, I don't know how to I wish I could figure out a good way to articulate this, but it's like, so many times I feel like we as Christians, we, are, we, we hold back the life and the love of Jesus. I know we don't say we do this because <laughs> we're like, hey, let's just share it with everybody. But it's just like we see someone who needs truth. But then because of our fear or our inadequacy or our whatever, we, we pull back. And we actually don't share what that person needs. They need truth. They need life. That, that person needs Healing. And what do we do? We we're more afraid of what they think of us. So we, we pull back. Well, we, we see this person who needs who needs some something, right? As a homeless person who actually needs some bread, or you know, some person who's who has this emotional distress, or and, and we're just like, well, I'm too busy. And so we pull back. And we forget to realize that we are actually God's vessels. We are his house. And if he is Jehovah Rapha and He lives inside of us. Don't you think he wants to use us? Now I'm not talking about all the crazy stuff that's going on today. With let's just go around and just start praying and hitting people, you know, and, and asking for miracles. Yeah, God can do all that, sure. But I'm talking about what would it look like if you were a vessel that was surrendered and just says, "God, use me however you want me to use. You, you want to use me? Hey, if you want to bring bring an encouraging word through my lips to the grocery clerk today, here's my lips." Lord, here's these hands. If you want these hands to rescue somebody, here they are. Lord, here's my, here, here is my life. That Here's this person that desperately needs truth and healing in the gospel. And Lord, I, I, I don't feel adequate, and I don't feel like I'm ready, and I don't, I'm a little embarrassed and nervous, but, but here I am. That hey, use me to showcase your, your healing and life to this world. Because what this world needs is a cross planted in the midst of the bitter waters. They need to see the reality of what Christ has purchased so that all their twistedness and all their perversion could be untwisted and unperverted so they could express not just cleansing sweetness in the midst of their lives. And I don't know about anybody else, but I, I, need, I need that. I need Jesus, who is Jehovah Rapha, to come in and do something in my life so that I really am a vessel used for his purposes. Because I think too oftentimes it's it's so easy as Christians to pull back and shy away and guard and protect and and you know we have all these Christianese statements like I'll pray for you, but then do we? <laughs> I mean it sounds really good because it sounds really spiritual. Ooh, I'll pray for you, but if we're not actually praying for them, be quiet. <laughs> God, I, God, you can use me however you want to use me. Well, will you go speak to that person? No, I'm busy. <laughs> doing ministry. See, I don't want to live that way. I'm guilty of living that way. I don't want to live that way. See, I want to be a channel through which God can flow his healing through. I want to be a person that when, they, when someone looks at my life, they go, wow, I see the cross planted in the midst of your life. And I, I need that. See, what, what if we really were Christians? Not just in name, but in life because we have experienced the cross of Jesus Christ in our lives. He has healed our bitter waters, and now he wants to use our life to showcase his life, his love, and his gospel to the world. We need that in this generation. Maybe, maybe unlike ever before in human history, we need that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, that you are the Lord who heals. And this wasn't just something that you did back in the day. This isn't just something that you wanted to do yesterday. But you were forever and always the healer. Lord, I pray for those who are dealing with physical suffering. Lord, I do ask that you would bring physical healing. But Lord, I ultimately pray for your glory to be seen. That whether it's through healing or whether it's through the endurance of the physical, that your life would be seen. So, Lord, if it means physical healing, then, Lord, that's what we ask. But, Lord, if you would receive more glory through their physical suffering and for their steadfast trust and pressing in and giving you the glory and the praise, and, Lord, we ask that you would encourage, that you would give peace, that you would supply all that that these people who are dealing with the sufferings would need so that their lives would become a declaration of who you are, that even in the midst of their physical suffering, the world would see you as the healer. Lord, we pray for those who are dealing with the emotional distress and the heartache and the pain. and Lord, we ask that you would be Jehovah Rapha, that you would bring healing in the midst of that pain and agony. And as your word says, Lord, would you you heal the brokenhearted? And Lord, we do pray for this world who desperately needs you as Jehovah Rapha spiritually. Lord, we ask that this would be a season that the world would see the cross clearly, that whatever this goopy muck and fog is that we've been living in as a culture would somehow be be blown away and that we would see the reality of the cross and that we would see the desperation of of our need for you. And Lord, I do pray that you would plant afresh the cross in the midst of the bitterness, in the midst of the perversion, in the midst of the twisted waters, of not just our culture but our churches our families, of our individual lives. Lord, I pray that our lives would be a declaration that you are God and that you are Jehovah Rapha. That somehow when people look upon our lives, the only explanation for how we are living is you. That they could not explain how we are living because of our talent or our wisdom or our resource or our abilities or our whatever, but they would be so dumbfounded by the fact that they see the cross squarely in the middle of our lives that they would see your life and your love and that the only explanation for our lives and how we are living and and how we've been changed and transformed and how we are able to walk is because of Jesus. So Lord, would you just grow bigger in our lives? And Lord, I do ask that this world would see you through us. And Lord, I pray that you would use us as your vessels through which you want to bring and declare healing. Lord, I recognize that we have no power in and of ourselves. That we have no resource in and of ourselves. But Lord, we we who are merely cracked pots, ask that you would use us as vessels in this culture, in this day, in this darkness, to declare your life, your love, your truth, your gospel. That you would somehow use these hands and these lips to showcase your healing. And whether or not that's physical, we're okay with that, Jesus. But this world desperately needs you spiritually, emotionally. But Lord, we do thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who heals. We just give you the praise and the glory. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.